On today's show, Victor Oladipo looking great this offseason, but I'll tell you why you shouldn't expect him to return to his all-NBA form. Plus, Omer Yurtsevin talks about his role next season and the Heat talking to the Jazz still about trades, but not about Donovan Mitchell, obviously. All of that and much more coming up today on Locked on Heat. You are Locked on Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome to a Monday edition of Locked On Heat, your daily podcast covering all things Miami Heat. However, you might be tuning in on YouTube, Odyssey, or on your favorite podcast app. Thank you so much for making Locked On Heat your first listen every day. I'm Wes Goldberg. Without my usual co-host, David Ramil, again uh, today, uh, just dealing with uh, a, a sick kid and things like that. So he'll be back uh, on our next episode uh, tomorrow night. But uh, the Heat reportedly talking with the Jazz about trades, even after Donovan Mitchell was dealt. We'll talk about who they're talking about in a minute. But First, I want to talk about Victor Oladipo, and let's just start right away with this YouTube comment from Bob Smith, um, who uh, left this at the bottom of of the podcast that posted Friday about our half-full, half-empty takes on the Miami Heat. This is the comment. Jimmy Butler joined an organization that has won a championship and is always close to winning another. They don't need another quote-unquote superstar, and if they do, they already have one. Victor Oladipo has been rehabbing from day one with the Heat. Before he got injured, he was a top 10 player in the league. Miami's problem isn't superstars. It's not having bigs, for example, Big Yurt, that can play alongside Bam and help clog the middle and get rebounds. Let's put a pin in the Omer Yurtsevin point uh, for now because I want to talk about that later on, okay? But to discuss the Victor Oladipo part of it, I like this comment because I've actually been wanting to talk about Depot for a little bit. Now, I'll disagree with Bob here about the point that Victor Oladipo was a top 10 player in the league. That, to me, is a little much. I never had him as a top 10 guy. To me, I think after his all-NBA season that year in Indiana, I did have him top 15. I'll say that. I I don't think the top 10 is completely outrageous. Uh, I just wouldn't have put him in the top 10. To me, he was a top 15 guy. Obviously made the all-NBA team. He was an incredible defender. All-NBA level perimeter defender. He was making his threes that year. Um, he was slashing to the basket. He was developing as a passer as the primary option for an Indiana Pacers team that had traded for him after the Paul George trade. They moved Paul George to OKC. Old Depot actually had a pretty nice year for the Thunder next to Russell Westbrook. They make that star trade to get Paul George. Depot goes home to Indiana, where, of course, he played college ball and then had a breakout season, made two all-star teams in a row. But that was also when he was 25 years old, okay? Um... I don't know that we can necessarily put those kinds of expectations on Victor Oladipo right now. And I say that only because I just think it would be unfair. Now, look, his, ta- his trainer, Victor Oladipo's trainer, texted me a couple weeks ago and said, Victor Oladipo looks better than ever. He looks better than he even looked last year. Okay? that And, and by the way, I, I, I trust this guy. I don't think that he's just full of it. I, I wrote about Victor Oladipo last year, my piece for The Ringer, uh, about how Victor Oladipo thought he was going to be that guy again. And when he says that guy, he meant the guy that he was in Indiana, the all-NBA type of player. 
his trainer was texting me after the the run that he had, Victor Oladipo, the run he had in the playoffs, which was promising and impressive enough for Miami to feel compelled enough to bring him back as a free agent this year. His trainer texts me, he looks even better than he did last year. So that's promising. Video surfaces this weekend about Victor Oladipo going one-on-one with Jason Tatum in workouts over the summer. That, to me, is promising. If you're holding your own against somebody like Jason Tatum, even in a one-on-one offseason setting, that, to me, is promising, okay? All of that said, I do think we need to stop discussing Victor Oladipo in the sense that Bob Smith in this comment said he was a top 10 player in the league before the injury. And even the way that Victor Oladipo talks about it, I used to be that guy. I still am that guy. I just think it's unfair to put those kinds of expectations on Victor Oladipo. Not just unfair to Oladipo, but unfair to the Miami Heat. And for the record, I don't think that the Miami Heat expect Victor Oladipo to be that guy again, all right? First of all, when he made the All-NBA team, he was 25 years old, and he played 75 games that year. He has not played in more than 36 games in a season in the four seasons since that All-NBA performance. He was 25 then, like I said. He's 30 years old now, all right? Not fair for him, for you to expect for him to do that again. I Don't mean anything against Victor Oladipo's work ethic. When his trainer texts me promising things, I believe it. I think Victor Oladipo will look much better this coming season than he did even in the playoffs last season. I truly believe that. It's not fair to put these expectations on Victor Oladipo because it would be crazy for him to get back to All-NBA status. It would be nuts for him to be back to being a top 10 player, top 15 player, which is where I had him prior to all these injuries. It would be nothing short of a miracle for that to happen. We've never seen anything like that in the NBA. Ever. Ever. We have seen players get hurt and come back and be very good. But for Victor Oladipo to go from, okay, drafted by the Orlando Magic, number two overall, very talented player who relied a lot on his athleticism in Indiana, and he made a lot of progress in Orlando and then later in Oklahoma City, and then obviously had his breakout years with the Indiana Pacers but played for two different teams before he was able to break out and then has played for a couple of different teams since and has basically been rehabbing several different kinds of injuries, but all basically related to the same injury for the last four years. So his success, his peak, very short-lived, right? This isn't Kevin Durant, who was just awesome, top 15 player of all time, and then tears his decorated winning championships and then tears his ACL, or uh, I'm sorry, tears his Achilles. That's not, this isn't a Kevin Durant situation. Victor Oladipo is super talented, but he's not Kevin Durant. And he doesn't have the same kind of game. Kevin Durant can just shoot his way to the Hall of Fame for the rest of his career. I mean, he'll, he'll be fine. Victor Oladipo is not that kind of player. Victor Oladipo was somebody who very much relied on his athleticism during his peak years, playing above the rim, slashing to the basket, incredible first step, not to mention all the athletic things that he was doing defensively on the perimeter. You expect that guy to come back and be that guy again after what he's dealt with the last four years, it's unfortunate. It has nothing to do with his work ethic. I believe in his work ethic. I believe in Victor Oladipo. I've written several features about Victor Oladipo. I really like him as a player and as a dude. I really do. I'm rooting for him. I am. But in me rooting for Victor Oladipo, I'm not going to put those expectations on him. Because when you do that, you're basically saying, hey, if you don't return to all-NBA status, all-star status, whatever it is, then whatever this rehab situation was, was a failure. And that's not fair to him. 
and it's not fair to the Heat, and it's not fair to you as a fan to, to put yourself in that spot to say, you know what, if he's not this, then, well, then what is he? Here's what I think Victor Oladipo can be. Here's what I think Victor Oladipo can be. I think he could be Andre Iguodala circa 2016, 2017 with the Golden State Warriors. I think that's probably Victor Oladipo's best case scenario. Now, some of you might be like, what? That's disrespectful. Victor, uh, Andre Iguodala can't really shoot, can't really score, just a sixth man. Maybe you don't really remember how important and how good Iggy was to those Warriors teams. All right, not just the fact that Andre Iguodala willingly took a backseat role after coming over from Denver to Golden State and said, You're right, you know what? You got to bench somebody because Steve Kerr came in. You had Steph. You had whoever was playing center back then, whatever. You had Draymond. You had Clay Thompson. And you had Harrison Barnes. That was six guys who deserved to start. Five guys on the perimeter. Steve Kerr went to Andre Iguodala and said, Listen, I have a, I, this is my vision. We're going to need you to come off the bench. And Andre Goudal, who made an all-star game in Philadelphia, super talented, way more athletic than I think a lot of people give him credit for or remember, said, you know what? I'm good with that. That's fine. I'm going to seed me as an all-star. I'm going to go to the bench and let young guys like Clay Thompson, Draymond Green come on up. They get to start. So not just the team thing. The putting the team first was big by Iggy, but just the fact that he was the skeleton key to their Golden State's best lineups, the death lineups, all these things that we remember that basically set the stage for that dynasty run that they had. So much of that had to do with Andre Iguodala, who, by the way, won finals MVP, and we could debate whether or not he should have won it over Steph. And by the way, he should not have won it over Steph. But he was in that conversation for a reason, right? It didn't go to Draymond. It didn't go to Clay. It went to Andre Iguodala. By mistake, maybe, but he was the guy that got it. He was awesome. And... He was awesome because he had great athleticism and he had all-star caliber play in him, in him, okay? He had that in him, but then had to take on a smaller role because of the team he was on. And instead of having the high usage all-star kind of season that he could have had and did have in the past with Philadelphia, he said, I'm going to be super efficient and awesome in a smaller role, concentrated Star in your role. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I think Victor Oladipo can do for this Heat team. Not to say that Victor Oladipo can't put up numbers. I don't know if he can put up numbers. I guess we'll see. All-star numbers. When I talk about numbers, I'm saying all-star numbers. Not to say he couldn't do it. Not to say that that's not possible for Victor Oladipo to do it. But what I'm saying is that he's not going to have that opportunity because Jimmy Butler is on this team, because Bam Adebayo is on this team, and because the Heat also have Tyler Hero, and they've got to figure out what he's all about this season. A big part of this season is figuring out if Tyler Hero can be a starter for you and that score that the Heat have been looking for. Victor Oladipo is going to have a chance to also be that score next to Jimmy Butler. But he's not going to have the opportunity that he had in Indiana. He's just not. That Pacers team was built around him. He's not going to have that chance. The chance he will have on a Heat team that was going to be much better than that Pacers team and is going to be much better than that Pacers team, the chance that Old Depot will have smaller role, be awesome in that role. That's the best case scenario for Victor Old Depot. And if he can be that for the Heat, that's a huge get for the Miami Heat. That is an incredibly valuable piece, an incredibly valuable player. That's the best case scenario for Victor Oladipo. It's the best case for the Miami Heat. And I think that is the sort of the expectation you should have of Victor Oladipo. 
It's not about the numbers with him. It's how he looks in the smaller role because that's the role he's going to get. So adjust your expectations, and I think you're going to be a lot happier with Victor Oladipo's upcoming season. We're going to talk about Omer Yurtsevin next, who outlined what he wants for himself and his role. We'll talk about whether or not it's possible next here on Locked on Heat. But first, today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your pro and college football betting needs and sports information this season. Find all of the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week's games. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf, not to mention the NFL we got some good lines going. Uh, I, I won some money this past weekend. Felt good about it. Dolphins, big win against the Patriots. Shout out uh, to the Miami Dolphins. I'm looking again at the Patriots this weekend. Opening line, Pittsburgh versus New England in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is getting a point. Are you kidding me? The Steelers are getting a point in Pittsburgh where they're going to have home field advantage. That's a home field advantage that really matters. New England did not look good, man. I'm not telling you that Pittsburgh's going to win. I'm not telling you that, but I love that value. You're getting a home team getting points against a team that just doesn't look, frankly, just doesn't look good. The Patriots are, this is not the old Patriots. Give me Pittsburgh plus one every day of the week. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. Back here with Locked on Heat. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Who is the most valuable NBA player this season? Locked On and Bet Online present the NBA Top 50 Most Valuable Players starting on September 19th. Find it on Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Back here with Locked On Heat, we are going to talk about potential trade targets for the Heat who are on the Utah Jazz. Conversations may still be ongoing despite Donovan Mitchell having been shipped off to the Cleveland Cavaliers. We'll get to that here in a minute. But first, let's get to this comment from Omer Yurtseven, who told BasketballNews.com that his number one goal is getting a rotation spot. Here's the full quote. Number one is getting that rotational spot during training camp and throughout the season. In order to do that, I need to be in the best shape I can, which I'm currently cutting down the body fat and increasing weight. It's been a grind, but it's an everyday thing. I've been doing it nonstop for four years now, end quote. So two things with this, right? Number one, he wants to get a rotation spot. Not a surprise. Good for him to put voice to that. Awesome. Get to that here in a minute. The second part, cutting down on the body fat and increasing weight. It's been a grind. Not That, that part to me was the surprising thing. Not because he needs to put on weight, but also the cutting down the body fat and all of these things. This is still somebody who is trying to get into NBA shape. And he mentioned he's been doing it for four years now, only a couple years with Miami, but he's been working on it. We know that the Miami Heat expect their players to be in world-class shape, right? It's the same standard that they're holding Kyle Lowry to, Jimmy Butler to. They're doing it with Omer Yurtseven. One of the things that uh, Pat Riley outlined uh, in his end-of-season press conference was that Omer Yurtseven has to just get better defensively and all these things. Uh, not a surprise, right? If you watched Yurtseven, there's obvious holes in his defensive game. Yes, he's big. He could stand near the rim. Can he switch out onto the perimeter? Not really. Not yet. He needs to work on that. He also, I thought, needed to get stronger in his lower body in order to compete with bigger centers like Joel Embiid and these other guys, especially if he's going to try to compete for rebounds and things like that. So that part is there. 
but also the cutting down on the body fat, I think is important. When you cut down on the fat, add the muscle, you're going to get stronger, you're going to get leaner, you're going to get faster. Those fast twitch muscle fibers are going to work better. You're going to be able to move laterally a little bit more. All of this makes sense. All right, but let's talk about that plus the rotation roll. How he, can he get that rotation roll? Obviously, getting the body right, that's going to that's gonna help a ton. That's going to help a lot. Other than that, uh, it's just it's just fine-tuning these other things. Defensively, can you be in the right spots? Can you make the right reads? Miami is switching everything on defense, and I don't see that changing. Now, when Yurtsevin was in last year, the Heat went to drop coverage way more than they had when it was Bam at center with, you know, basically... P.J. Tucker and, and three other perimeter players, which makes sense. So you'd say, well, why do they need to switch if you're Tavin's in? Because they drop when you're Tavin's in. Well, they drop because you're Tavin can't switch. And if your defensive identity is switching a little bit more, I'm not saying you have to switch everything when your Tavin is in there. Right? Your Tavin's never going to be P.J. Tucker. He's never going to be Bam Adebayo. It's just not his game. But you got to be able to switch a little bit more. And we saw this back in the day with Hassan Whiteside, how he just wouldn't even come out on the perimeter on pick and pops or pick and rolls. And it was just, it got in the way of Miami's overall defense. Whiteside can hang out by the rim, chase blocks all he wants, grab rebounds, and his numbers were good. But defensively, Miami's numbers were worse when Whiteside was on the court. I'm not saying that's the case necessarily with Omer Yurtsevin. But you need to find an in-between of, okay, I'm going to drop all the time. And, hey, like, this... The opponent knows I'm dropping every single time, and so they're just going to settle into that mid-range area or come off these screens. And if it's Trey Young, for instance, he's going to just jump right into a three-pointer. So you can't have that either. Not in today's NBA. Certainly not. So Yurtsevin needs to find an in-between of when he can at least, maybe not necessarily switch, but at least show and get out on the perimeter a little bit more than he did last year. So that's part of it. The body stuff, that will help him with it. And just the, the recognition the, the quickness with which these things happen. If you're playing a switch-heavy system, you need to be able to make decisions and the correct decisions quickly and obviously accurately. So I think that's part of it. All of this stuff comes with time. You get your body better, better with time. You get better at playing defense with time. Offensively, there's also stuff that he can do. Be a more consistent jump shooter. I think that's probably the most tantalizing part of his game is the fact that he could potentially be a floor spacer at that center spot, which is obviously what you need. If you were ever going to play Bam Adebayo at the forward position, you would need the center next to him to at least be able to stretch the floor credibly, okay? And when I say credibly, that's a key word. I don't mean you're even going out there and shooting 34% on one and a half attempts per game from three-point range. I mean doing it enough to the point where the other teams, the opponent, scouts you out as a three-point threat, okay? We remember this conversation happening um, with Max Struess, the more he played, the more teams started to recognize, oh my gosh, this guy could really drain threes. And so um, I think that that's part of it with Yurtsevin. The more you shoot, the better you play, the more respect the opponent is going to give you. Also, again, comes with time. Okay? So, do I think Omi Yurtsevin can play next to Bam Adebayo? Yes. The numbers aren't great, though. I'll give you the numbers first, and then I'll give you the bright side of it. 34 possessions with Bam Adebayo last season. So a small sample size, granted, but it's what it's what we have to work with, so that's what we're going to work with. Um, they were outscored by 27.5 points per 100 possessions when Yurtsevin and Bam Adebayo played together. Very, very not good, <laughs> okay? Um, that said, awesome rebounding metrics. Awesome rebounding metrics. Going back to Bob, uh, Bob Smith's comment earlier, you want a center who can rebound next to Bam Adebayo. Absolutely, Bam is an... Uh, above average rebounder, but he's small and he has trouble against big size. 
uh, what made P.J. Tucker great as an, as an option, even Jay Crowder next to him. They were above average uh, rebounders at their position. And so you want another big player, if you're going to do that, who can, who can obviously rebound the board. So that was, that was good. Awesome rebounding metrics, but offensively, defensively, just bad. They couldn't score. They couldn't defend. Um, the numbers were better in the lineups where Yurtsevin and Bam played next to three floor spacers, whether it was Duncan Robinson, Lowry, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess. Those numbers were slightly better, but not so great that you're like, okay, let's just do that, you know, six minutes a game. So, but again, small sample. That said, I do expect to see Eric Spolstra go more towards those alignments. I, I think it'll be a lot more than 34 possessions with Yurtsevin and Bam. And, and Dwayne Dedman, by the way, who's still on this roster, uh, and bam, I, I just, just because I don't really know what the other option is for Spo. Like you don't have a true power forward on this roster. You're going to be probably starting Caleb Martin at the four, but you're also going to be getting smaller. I think most certainly to close games, you'll probably play Jimmy Butler at the four with bam and then three perimeter guys. Uh, but I do think over the course of the game, we will see minutes with bam out of bio at power forward and Dwayne Dedman at center, and maybe even Omer Yurtsevin at center. Now, can Yurtsevin carve out a role in the rotation? I don't think that that's going to be there to start the season. I really don't. And that's mostly because Dwayne Dedman is there and Bam Adebayo is there, and I don't know how many minutes you can give to centers, especially if you're already sort of naturally playing small and you're closing games small. Um, but with the way Dwayne Dedman's contract works, it's chunky, it's tradable. It, it, it's a contract signed to be traded. It's a $4 million number. It's chunky. You could pair that with a Caleb Martin contract or an, or an Old Depot contract or just another contract. And, and it's a nice, chunky, tradable deal. I do expect that in... I, I think Dwayne Denman probably will get shopped at the deadline. And if he does get traded, that gives Omer Yurtsevin a whole another half of a season, probably until February, so even more than technically half the season, to get his body right, to get all those other finer points in his game to, uh, fine-tuned, and all the other things we just talked about. Yurtsevin, it's not about training camp. It's not about the offseason, even though we got these comments right now during the offseason. He's going to have another half season at least to work his way into the rotation, and that's what I expect to happen. Coming up next, the Heat didn't land Donovan Mitchell from the Jazz, but can they get a different player? From Utah. I'll tell you who they're targeting and if that player is the right fit. Coming up next, this is Locked on Heat. Locked on Heat at gmail.com. Find us on social media. Locked on at Locked on Heat on Twitter, at Locked on Heat on Instagram. Where we post some fun things here and then. You should definitely follow us if you have an Instagram account. All right, let's get to this report from Tony Jones, who does a really great job uh, covering the Utah Jazz for the Athletics. Super plugged in. Super plugged in. Um, I once saw Donovan Mitchell give him like a box of cookies. That's how plugged in this guy is, okay? Donovan Mitchell plays for Cleveland now, but whatever. Tony Jones said in a recent podcast, quote, Miami has been lurking, but in order to do a trade with Miami, the Jazz would probably have to take back Duncan Robinson. Tony Jones obviously talking about post-Donovan Mitchell deals with Utah. They've openly been shopping Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley, even uh, Malik Beasley. So again, this quote in regards to that. Miami has been lurking, but in order to do a trade with Miami, the Jazz would probably have to take back Duncan Robinson. And that's just a really, really, really bad contract because there's four years left on it. So that's just a really tough contract for the Jazz to take back, end quote. 
This lines up with what I've been hearing, talking with people across the league. That Duncan Robinson contract just looks bad. I'm not going to say it's the worst contract in the NBA, but it's certainly not a contract that other teams are stoked to take back. It's kind of one of those contracts where, let's say you went to San Antonio, who has a ton of cap space and could just absorb Duncan Robinson. You would have to add a draft pick into that deal for another team to take Duncan Robinson from salary relief. So that's a tough contract to trade. It's not going to be as easy as just saying, you know what, Duncan Robinson for Bojan Bogdanovic straight up, especially because teams like the Lakers and Phoenix, and there's other teams that have been sort of mentioned in the Bojan Bogdanovic trade scenarios. Um, So for Utah to just take back Duncan Robinson and the four years left he has the contract, and by the way, we should mention the contract, Duncan Robinson making $16.9 million this year. He's got four years left. The numbers go up slightly, though the final year of that contract, that fourth year, is partially guaranteed, partially for about $10 million. So it's not non-guaranteed to the point where you just, you know what, that fourth year doesn't count. I could just waive it. It's partially guaranteed, and that partial guarantee amount is still pretty substantial. You would still, if a team, you're trading for Duncan Robinson, if you planned on waiving him in that fourth year, you'd still owe him almost 10 mil, all right? So that's still not, it's not a great deal for you if you're, if that was your goal. But Duncan Robinson's a good player. He's an elite three-point shooter. I still believe that. I think last year was rough for a lot of reasons. I think this beginning of the year, my, I anticipate that Duncan Robinson will be on the Heat's roster because it's going to be so hard to trade him based on the comment that Tony Jones had here on record and what I've been hearing on background uh, for a few months now. Like Duncan Robinson... Just not a guy that teams are super stoked to take on. They don't want to see that contract. They want to see if he could bounce back from last year when he was kind of in his head. Obviously had a three-point shooting slump to start to, to start the year. Finished okay, but defensively wasn't great. He was out of the rotation by the time the playoffs came around. You need to see more from Duncan Robinson. Um, that said, I don't think that the Utah Jazz are going to be trading these guys that I just talked about for what they're hoping to get. The Utah Jazz think all these guys are worth first-round picks, and I'm laughing because it's ridiculous. Like, you think you're going to get four first-round picks for Boyan Bogdanovich, Mike Conley, Malik Beasley, and Jordan Clarkson? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But they're not going to be awesome first-round picks, right? Like, first of all, I don't think you're getting that from Malik Beasley, and I don't think you're getting that for Jordan Clarkson. And they're on the trade block, but for the sake of the Miami Heat conversation, that neither of those guys make any sense for Miami, so just cross those guys off. I would look at Bogdanovich as an obvious fit, a guy who could play power forward, elite, elite three-point shooter with a track record of doing that, track record of playing both forward spots. Obviously, the Heat would probably start him at power forward. If you could do Duncan Robinson for Bogdanovich straight up, I think they would, and I think they would have done it by now. But like I just said, what's in it for Utah? Bogdanovich is on an expiring deal. What, are they going to take Duncan Robinson back and then have to pay him for four more years while they're planning on not competing? They don't want to do that. They want to get a draft pick back for Bogdanovich. Okay. Well, Duncan Robinson. Let's talk about that. Like I just said, let's say you just traded him for nothing. It would probably take a a draft pick just to get off of the contract that Duncan Robinson is on. Let alone getting an asset back and a, a starter for you, likely, in Bogdanovich. So what are we talking about? Two draft picks for Boyan Bogdanovich? Well, that doesn't make sense either. Okay. If the Heat really want Bogdanovich, do they have to include Duncan Robinson? The short answer to that is yes. Because the only other contract that even gets close to Bogdanovich is Kyle Lowry, and you're not trading Lowry, who's at about $28 million, so you'd still have to take other salary back from Utah for salary matching purposes. You're not trading Lowry for Bogdanovich? Come on. Bogdanovich can't play defense. 
He's better than what the Miami have now at power forward. He's an option they don't have. He spaces the floor theoretically next to Bam. Not theoretically. He would. He would space the floor next to Bam Adebayo. I think he's an okay fit. But you want to trade Kyle Lowry for him. Kyle Lowry's awesome. You're not doing that. So I don't really know what the other trade is. I don't know what it is. Could you do Lowry and Duncan Robinson for a combination of Mike Conley and Bogdanovich? Okay. That makes a little bit more sense. You throw a draft pick in there. But then why would Utah do that? Now they're just now they have Kyle Lowry, another veteran point guard, who's probably harder to move than Conley because his contract is bigger than Conley's. So they're not going to do that either. And I don't think Miami would do that either because I think, you know, Conley's a good player. I like Conley a lot. But right now, I think you would just take the chemistry between Kyle Lowry and the rest of the roster and then trying to work in a new point guard like Mike Conley. So that's why a contract. That's why I don't think a trade has worked so far. Because for Miami, you have limited trade assets that you can't really uh, or draft picks right now that you can't really move in a trade, especially a trade like this that is a slight upgrade to the roster, but not as much as you're looking for. So while Bogdanovich does make sense for Miami, and while I do believe that Tony Jones, what Tony Jones reports that Miami has been lurking, I think Miami has been lurking in a way of, hey man, if you can't talking to basically Danny Ainge here, not to say that Pat Riley be like, yo man, what's up, but saying, look, Utah. Shop around your your Bogdanovich deals if you don't get what you want. Because, by the way, the Lakers, they're not trading one of those unprotected picks in 2027 and 2029 for Bogdanovich. They're not doing that. Phoenix, like, I don't even know what they can trade. I don't know what that deal looks like. So if Utah shops around and they can't find the first-round pick that they want from Bogdanovich, I don't know. Maybe they do come around to Duncan Robinson. Maybe it's Duncan Robinson in a second-round pick or something like that. Maybe there's something there that does not include one of Miami's first-round picks because they can't trade one of those for a player like Bogdanovich because they're holding on to that for either another superstar player or a player who is a long-term upgrade at the position. That's not Bogdanovich. There's other players, and those players are probably more gettable at the trade deadline, and I do think that that's the window that we're talking about here for Miami to upgrade the roster. It's between now and the trade deadline. All right. That's it for today's episode. Thanks again for making Locked on Heat your first listen every day. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on Heat on YouTube or on your favorite podcast app. For your second listen, get up to date on the latest news and rumors in the NBA in just 30 minutes every day with Locked on NBA. Locked on NBA, your daily NBA update in just 30 minutes. Remember to like and subscribe. Ring the bell here on YouTube. Like us and comment. Leave reviews wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.